Thank you for joining us for the 2022 NACDD President's Challenge podcast series. I'm your host, Christy Peer, NACDD Board President from the Maryland Department of Health. In this series, we are talking with leaders around the country about resilience and well-being in our communities, our teams at work, and ourselves to identify ways to apply lessons learned in public health. We are framing the conversations in four categories or buckets based on the socio-ecological model, societal, community, interpersonal, and individual. Resilience is defined broadly, typically dependent on the context. Anne Maston's definition of resilience frames the goals, the capacity of a system to adapt successfully to disturbances that threaten the viability, function, or development of the system. So let's get started. On today's episode of our President's Challenge podcast, we are speaking with Ruth Thomas-Squantz, the Senior Director of Field Building at Build Healthy Places Network. We are discussing resilience and well-being from the societal level perspective. Welcome, Ruth. You have a rich background on research, health equity, and cross-sectional collaboration. Can you tell us a bit about what led you to this point in your career? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Christy. So as you can perhaps tell from my accent, um, I'm not a native of San Francisco, but I grew up actually in a, a small rural mining village in Wales, South Wales, called Tecros. And really there was a great emphasis, I think, on community and the importance of an individual's contribution to the well-being of your community. And that was sort of heavily embedded in me. Career-wise, I was trained by medical research, actually. I got my PhD from London. And I actually came to the States to pursue a fellowship at UCSF um, and sort of to explore part of my U.S. identity as a dual national. Uh, in the process of moving on from bench science to work in the nonprofit sector, I was leading an organization providing emotional intelligence training and a project that we did at UCLA School of Public Health, which was for minority leaders, really introduced me to the, the public health sector per se and got me interested in that sort of field of work. And, and I went back to do a, a master's in public health to follow that. But, and I think one of the biggest impacts on me being introduced to the idea of health disparities, that really sort of shook this sort of foundation of my science perspective to understand the impact that social factors could have on health. And it was like a sort of this shift from the clinical services focus of how I envisaged changing people's health. Even though it was a somewhat sort of scenic route, <laughs> uh, I think being a woman of color, coming from this academic, nonprofit and public sort of sectors, I think rooted in a commitment to equity. Um, working at my current juncture, where I'm focusing on social drivers of health and bringing sectors together, that entails, this all sort of seems like a natural destination to arrive at. That's great. Thank you. That's a lovely circuitous path uh, to to get to where you are, but it makes a lot of sense of how you got there. Your mission at Building Healthy Places Network is to transform the way organizations work together across the health, community development, and finance sectors. And this is really 
to more effectively reduce poverty, advance health equity, racial equity, and improve health in neighborhoods across the United States. How is that coming to life through the work that you are doing with the network? Great. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's been a really interesting development arc, I think, in the life of the organization, you know, founded, I think, accurately eight years ago. It's interesting to see and Build Healthy Places Network has sort of lived through this shift in the national dialogue, I think, around growing interest in multi-sector collaborations as a solution to the sort of complex social challenges we see. For example, I think early on, there was much less awareness on the links between health and place. But I think that the body of work amongst organizations working in the field, not exclusively BHPN, but including BHPN, has really made those connections, I think, that concept much more familiar. And that's not to say that there isn't a lot more work to be done in raising awareness around this, but I think that there is much more conversation around us that has moved away from the idea of this concept of single sector solutions to working with partners, you know, from it being a new concept to sort of accepting that idea and now thinking about, well, how do we make these collaborations work? What does it look like to operationalize something like that? And I think definitely any conversation leads to this experience that we've all been through of the pandemic, which has really sort of emphasized that connection between housing, your home and your health. And the very notion of the shelter in place, you know, is sort of so connected to that visual of safe shelter. And I think at BHPN, we've been really increasingly using that sort of holistic framework of the vital conditions that has come for well-being. That came out of Thrive Together, and I think is a project of the Wellbeing Trust, Rethink Health and Community Initiative. And just thinking about those factors that they sort of so nicely framed into domains that include things like basic needs for health and safety, the concept of having meaningful work that sort of contributes to your family and community wealth, humane housing. And so I think to circle back really on what I mentioned earlier, I think that this sort of forced experiment or this external pressure of the global pandemic really very much displayed the fractures in our systems that sort of pre-existed the pandemic, but really demonstrated how these uh, sort of vital conditions of health and the resources associated with them are really quite differently distributed amongst the population and differentially across race, socioeconomic lines. And I think We've seen that reflected in the impact and this disproportionate burden of the pandemic in those impacted communities. And I think this is sort of a highly visual and motivating moment for public health, but as well also across other sectors in response to this. So I think to answer your original question, I think this is about how cross-sector work is really coming to life through our work. There is this growing realisation that our most challenging issues, you know, these really sort of stubborn problems are not single sector solutions and they're going to require multi-sector collaborations. And I think we're moving into that phase or this era where that will be a major focus, I think, for moving the needle on health equity. You know, how do we make these work is, is the question and make them effective. That's really great. I think pointing out 
this moment in time is so important because this is an opportunity for us to build those partnerships, to expand those networks and partnerships. Can you tell us a little bit more about the cross-sector investments in communities and then how do these investments impact equity as well as resilience? Yeah, that's a great question. I think as I alluded to really in the last question, I think we see broader social fabric challenges that are the impacts conditions of health that impact the conditions for health. They really act across sectors. So I think they require cross-sector solutions. And from both Healthy Place and Network's work, we see the benefits of increased communication and really coordination of investments for organizations doing this work from healthcare, from public health and the community development sectors, the infrastructure folks doing affordable housing and grocery store and those kind of investments. They're often working in the same communities, but often working in parallel. And I think working together, the outcomes are often multiplied, you know, rather than additive. So there's potential for greater effectiveness of projects. And I think for many infrastructure projects, as well as programmatic, really securing capital is is a competitive business. And cross-sector collaboration can make for some compelling competitive cases for securing these sort of dollar investments. I think it's really important for health equity. And when you are considering this process of attracting investments to communities and neighborhoods that have been historically excluded and persistently disinvested, it really becomes a tool for equity to make these investments more competitive and for deploying capital where it's really needed. There's another aspect to this, I think, in terms of embedding resilience, which we've mentioned earlier. I often hesitate in referring to it as communities that have been impacted by health disparities, you know, as if they need resilience. I think they really represent some of our most intrinsically resilient in that they've survived so many social factors and challenges to health and well-being that odds stacked against them. But if I can phrase it perhaps as embedding characteristics and conditions, infrastructure and information, all those factors that can better support their efforts to thrive, support healthy choices, and a capacity to adapt to changes and challenges to health, you know, such as those like, you know, climate change, for example. I believe that when we build the relationships that centre community in the process, you know, as part of creating these multi-sector collaborations, I think that's foundational to building resilience that it sort of sets communities up to respond to unanticipated events, future events, the unexpected events such as pandemic, because the relationships already exist, you know. It allows you to draw on strengths and resources and expertise of each partner. And I think collaboratively that creates a greater whole. So I do think there is something in the essence of the cross-sector work and cross-sector investments that really specifically speaks to a greater impact on equity and building of resilience. And I think bringing in the expertise 
be it from healthcare associated collection of data, public health knowledge of community and community partners and community-based organizations that are sort of sometimes the action arm of the public health sector and sort of tying that with the kind of infrastructure investments that community development is looking to make. I just think, you know, together it is a powerful combined force that just can really drive equity in a positive way. You know, I really love the wording that you used around the communities that we look at to help build. And as you were saying, is that when we talk about resilience is that those communities can teach us about resilience because of their survival. But then I really liked what you were saying about that need to really move them forward to thriving through adaptation. And hopefully I I got that correct. I really loved that aspect of what you were talking about. Is there an example of what your programs are doing to support building these communities, building the adaptability for them to thrive, to them, for them to be resilient? Could you share an example of what your programs are doing? Yeah, I think this is something that I was going to build on, you know, uh, talking about building resilience. Uh, One program really that comes to mind is that we have recently launched, it brings an equity focus to building resilience. Community Innovations for Racial Equity is funded by Kresge Foundation and the Kellogg Foundation. And we've just recently launched it just the other month. And the goal of this initiative is for Build Healthy Places, as well as a team of consultants, to provide support to 10 locally active, these are smaller organizations, BIPOC-led community development organizations. And it's really to support their development and sort of build capacity. There's also pass-through funding in support of really developing community power with a view to forming health partnerships and strategies that can really support and propel the racial equity and ultimately create the sort of community health, the wellness and resilience that we've been talking about earlier. And so this is a cohort of 10 organizations that we selected through an RFP process. And the representation is really from across the country. And I think What is exciting about this for us as an organization is that while we are building on our previous community innovations initiative, and that ran from 2019 to 2021, I think we're looking at this as an opportunity for continued growth and learning as an organization, that we're going to learn from our pool of BIPOC consultants, as well as the community innovations cohort. And they've all been selected for close community engagement links and the prioritization they put on that. So that I feel that we're creating a collective pool of knowledge for us as an organization. And we are trying to, I think, take the time to interrogate our own processes and even the structure 
really of our initiative, even though we've done it before, but to take the time to sort of be aware of where might we be recreating or utilizing processes that are not inclusive or structures that perpetuate sort of oppression and othering, just even in the manner of what we're doing, even in the manner of how we seek to help. So where can we see an organization center community voice as the experts in the room um, in crafting solutions needed for their communities? And so I think it's an interesting question. Sometimes it's a challenging conversation. And, and to think about how do we support the incorporation of that kind of successful engagement into engagement with these larger healthcare systems, the public health sector, you know, that daunting power dynamic that can exist. And I think the essence of that, and I'm excited about that, I think is where we can build sort of multi-sector collaboratives that can be successful. And I do think ultimately more sustainable when they can sort of successfully bridge that gap just in, in sort of leveraging community expertise, as you mentioned. But then the bi-directional flow is that we can provide resources in order for that organizational self-development that I think can support adaptability, can support engagement with what is essentially a competitive structure and not necessarily structures that they've historically been included in. That is all the time we have today. Thank you so much to our special guest, Ruth Thomas-Squantz, for sharing your expertise and wisdom around creating structures that support resilience in communities. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode of the NACDD President's Challenge podcast. Please do join us for part two as we continue our conversation with Ruth to learn more on how we can support resilience in communities through partnerships and advancing equity.